0: Part expressionist silent horror film, teen detective serial, and Grand Guignol Reverie, Brand Upon the Brain, is a new cinematic spectacle. Inspired by the aesthetics of silent cinema and central European literature, our guest today, director Guy Madden's latest film, is being presented as an expansive live event in Los Angeles this weekend, featuring an 11-piece live orchestra, a three-person live Foley team, a live celebrity narrator and On Stage, Castrato, supplementing the film Image. Madden's other works include The Saddest Music in the World, and Twilight of the Ice Nymphs, and my favorite short film of all time, The Heart of the World. Guy Madden, welcome to film school.
1: Hey, thanks. Welcome back at you.
0: Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate that. I, first of all, I just want to get it out of the way. I think your films are fantastic. I think you have a great vision, and it's uh, it's really a, a, an honor to talk to you today.
1: Oh, a uh, the- pleasure. I'm sitting here in Toronto, lying in the hotel room bed. I just finished watching A Different World, Lisa (laughs) Bonet. Now fame is on. Yeah. Well, there you go go in case you phoned late.
0: (laughs) How do you go from being a house painter to a director? What happened?
1: There was a lot of overlap there. (laughs) Um, uh, I daydream up my scripts while on top of a ladder, uh, talking it through with some of my co-workers who are also inspiring filmmakers, and have gone on to make films back in Winnipeg. and really? And then I started by painting the sets on my own movies, and went back and forth. I was even paint, still painting houses after I'd made three features.
0: Really? When were you painting houses when a feature started, was started?
1: I started when I was 20 years old painting houses, and yeah. I, I was painting well after I finished making the movie Careful, which I, mean, uh. I was 36 years old, so I was... I, I painted them, I think, for 17 years.
0: What do you think the big break for you was? Was there a point in time where it was, was it your decision or was it uh, the world's decision that
1: you you were ready for? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I went went through a little bit of a trough where I couldn't think of any films to make and didn't really have much passion for them and went through almost five years without making much that inspired me, Uh, maybe in the late second half of the 90s. And... During that time, I stayed away from the film world quite a bit. But when I came back, I guess all these bootleg videotapes of my movies, which I myself had made and circulated (laughs) to people who asked the nicest questions during Q&A periods Um, in the late 80s and early 90s, I guess they finally made their way around. And I suddenly, I don't know, I just felt the more people knew about me. A few more people knew about me anyway. The Uh, critical mass. During that time, the grassroots campaign all the... Babies I'd kissed and (laughs) and finally was starting to pay off. My patience had gone beyond patience. It had gone to apathy. And then, uh, I don't know, I started getting fired up again. I discovered Super 8 filmmaking, Mm -hmm. found love in lower gauges instead of feeling like I should ramp up my logical expertise. I actually found a lot of enthusiasm within myself, by going primitive.
0: How long have you been working with George Tolles?
1: Working in various ways since I met him in 1980. He was a real, just a real role model for me. I'd been um, a very indifferent undergraduate, a math and economics major, and he taught me just to switch hemispheres. Uh, He helped me discover that that I had some things that were fun to play with in in sort of the realm of film and lit and theater things like that so i was really glad to uh rotate hemispheres and get the heck out of uh <laughs> economics and math although i still like to think very rationally and or i fancy myself as a rational thinker i probably i probably just ain't yeah. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact my favorite parts of my movies are when when the irrational gets you know uh delightfully <laughs> often fuzzy
0: yeah, they're they're my favorite parts too I, yeah I, I like good for dipping I got a, I got, I got a huge kick out of that one. I <laughs> yes, came, that came and there's, there's a, there's a point in, in uh, Brand Upon the Brain where, it, where it's a little bit of comic relief, I'd say at that point, and it just, it worked very well. It just took yeah, me right well, out of it.
1: Yeah, that, I almost feel like I was cheating while making Brand Upon the Brain because I, I was literally just culling huge. A uh, culling isn't right. I feel. Reminds me of slicing up big chunks of whale blubber or something. I, I had these big <laughs> slabs of autobiography that I just took without even really altering them much, and and just sort of lowered them uh, onto the script pages, and then just rearranged the slippery uh, episodes and, and, until I had a script. So, it, it,
0: so, so you're saying Brand upon the Brain is autobiographical, pretty much.
1: It it is, and I and I say that knowing that your listeners may be asking themselves why why would I <laughs> want to watch this. This jumps autobiography. <laughs> who, who the heck's he that he has such an interesting life? But uh, it's a childhood recollection, and one of my biggest film idols is Jean Vigo. And, you know, he made uh-huh. a great childhood recollection film, Zero for Conduct. And he's a real inspiration to me the way he transforms the most mundane episodes into really um, airborne myths. So I I, I just tried to use my own version of his of his methods to to make my childhood everybody's childhood. And you know, everyone's a bit of a poet when they're recollecting their childhood their especially their earliest childhood memories when they were really delirious and had no idea what really made the world work and they were desperately building all of us were desperately in our earliest years, desperately building these erroneous models of the universe. And there's some real intoxicating poetry to be found in remembering our earliest uh, senses of the way the way the world worked. Uh, and and I, I also wanted to acknowledge something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and that's that children are sexual beings in some form or another. Right. Uh, once again, the uh, false models of how things work. You know, instinct only takes you so far. I remember i don 't know how young I was. I must have been really young, but you know you know all of us in the privacy of our pillow hugging moments at bedtime uh have sort of compelled by our hearts and God knows what else um, launch into the strangest, most secret of reveries and uh I remember locking the bathroom door and urinating into a badminton birdie in what felt like a very satisfying uh, <laughs> early sexual experience and it, that sort of thing. And, you know, that sounds pretty horrible. No, uh, no. Were you a
0: badminton enthusiast? I <laughs> bad,
1: but, uh, you know, <laughs> heck, I was only 19. What did I mean?
0: <laughs> well, I want to ask you... Do um, you play badminton, by the way? <laughs> or was this just a birdie laying around?
1: Was- uh, it was, yeah, it was a, a poor, very <laughs> unlucky... <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I want to ask you of other film influences, other people that have influenced
1: you. Uh, well, v- Vigo is Vigo a very early and monumental influence to me, almost like a, 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 a scar, like I was wow. hit, hit by a lightning bolt in my filmic infancy or something. I was really impressed by him. Some other influences are actually more literary. I, I really like the writer Bruno Schultz, who does on the page what Vigo's doing on the screen. He only wrote a couple of thin volumes of short stories between the wars before dying at the hands of Nazis. Bruno Schultz's *Street of Crocodiles* and *Sanatorium Under the Sign of the Hourglass*—real inspirations for me. I like Abel Gantz, the director of *Napoleon*, the yeah. silent *Napoleon*, because yeah, he's yeah. pretty coked up and mad, and he has more tropes per second in his films. <laughs> uh, and I don't know somehow if somehow film history had just. Taken a left turn instead of a right at some crucial juncture, maybe the whole editing language would have been more Gantzian than yeah. than whatever it is now.
2: Well, the editing is obviously very important. I just want to bef- get this out of the way because it's in my head, and I want to get a, get, sure. get it out. Uh, watching Brand upon the Brain, there there is a Bergman. Ingmar Bergman feel to some of the scenes and sort of this stark landscape and a yeah. lot of Bergman films were at water's edge and it's a lot of his childhood. Did that have any influence? Yeah, you?
1: It's, it's funny you mention that. You know, influences are often mentioned in conversations with me, and uh, but very rarely do people get specific and say that the influence is from. And then so you're you're an exception by actually saying Bergman. Strangely, I, I never really watch. Bergman, but I am a fan of his uh, childhood autobiography, Mm -hmm. uh, The Magic Lantern. Other than that, I've only seen The Silence and Virgin Spring 25 years ago, maybe. We're both Scandinavian. My name is Irish, but I grew up in an Icelandic-dominated house where all the women in in, in the house, my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, and numerous Icelandic customers to the Icelandic Beauty Salon my aunt and my mother ran so really, dominated the uh, ethnicity of the household, and my poor Irish father just had to, you know, sh- shrivel up and, and die in reaction to wow. to the dominance of this ethnicity, which trumps just about every other ethnicity just through sheer stubbornness. And an, they were too stubborn to even die, Icelanders somehow. So, so I guess there's just a kind of a, a dourness or a somberness. Uh, in between the the frenzied ridiculousness and what I hope is a kind of a warm primitivity in the film. The film's in black and white, and I tried to make it as beautiful as possible in it in did. the black in that black and white way. But there's something, when I use the natural sunlight, it, it does seem to have the same temperature as those early Bergman films, undeniably. Yeah. It's a happy uh, yeah. artifact for me because I certainly never planned it. Yeah.
2: Well, I want to remind our listeners, that we're speaking with a guy, Madden, and the film is Brand Upon the Brain. It is playing this week, starting on Friday at the uh, Egyptian uh, Theater in Los uh-huh. Angeles. You know, you know, live performance. Live theater. performance, uh, narrators, Foley's, all kinds of yeah. great things.
1: Yeah. The, uh, it's a real event for me, and for the first time in my life, I feel like not just a filmmaker, but I feel like a showman as well. There's something in the word filmmaker that seems to encourage the artist to indulge oneself in in acts of privacy on the screen almost, but um, all these live elements make me a stage manager and a showman as well as a filmmaker, and I, I, I really get a little bit uncomfortably needy during the performances, and I feel a real happiness only when I when I know the audience is connecting with the film, mm-hmm. and, and the movies kept me mostly very happy, as uh, I'm pleased to say. I, I, I'm also terrified and nervous all the time during the live performances, mm-hmm. and at a recent... Screening in New York broke through a molar while. Oh no! Well, well just from <laughs> clenching my jaw yeah, yeah. too much while one of my narrators, Lou Reed, fell asleep during a performance. Oh no! He was he was a bit drowsy and nodded nodded off.
2: He must up have been. in
1: a balcony and we couldn't yeah. we couldn't get at him. And a big there's a big gong run rung run by a eunuch at the end of the at the end of the movie that uh, woke him up. <laughs> I think he, almost. Uh, <laughs> Almost no one noticed he was asleep. <laughs> yeah, well, you well, did. Movie, I'm sure. Well, he has that vibe going on anyways. <laughs> well.
0: That must have been fantastic in New York. There were a lot of great narrators there, too. Isabella Rosalini, who's, we, we saw a DVD uh, copy of your film, uh, yeah. who does it there. But she was doing it live in New York. And, and Well, Reed. she
1: feels like uh, an extra musical instrument dragged out of the orchestra pit and put up into the speaker's loge. Yeah. And, well, there's these live foley artists too that are really delightful to watch. You know, the people that make sound effects uh-huh. for every movie. You know, yeah. Ocean's Thirteen, every one of um, <laughs> every one of Al Pacino's footsteps has been uh, replaced <laughs> by these very foley artists. You know, yeah, the right. very ones that are performing because uh, they work out of um, studio up in in Toronto and they do most of the foley work in North America. They're they're really fun to watch. We, and there's a, a singer, the Manitoba Meadowlark, who's literally castrato, like although it wasn't a Vatican decree that produced his <laughs> uh, <dulcet laughs> Yes, home. thankfully, it that was, was what a... he always describes as a medical misfortune. He's quite proud of his voice, uh, uh, and then there are these narrators. And uh, yeah, in in New York, I had a real interesting lineup, and so I had to watch my movie over and over again, an unhealthy amount of times, because I just thought, well, when am I going to get a chance to see? Eli Wallach narrating my movie again, <laughs> or, yeah. uh, or John Ashbery, the Pulitzer Prize-winning poet, or Crispin Glover, who's just so strangely charismatic. Well, I poem. was going to
2: ask you about him, because he was on the list of the New York narrators. Yeah. So, is there yeah.
1: any special Crispin Glover moment? Yeah. He has yeah. a, a real gift for uh, reading a line, you know. he can just He just inverts everything, and then just when you get used to that pattern of inversion, of inflection... He'll throw a curve at you, and, uh, man, if he was a pitcher, his ERA would be pretty low, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what well, kind well of he's, pitch he's going to throw at you next. He,
2: you know? he's, a, he's a filmmaker himself, and I know he's done yeah. uh, some Shakespeare using Down syndrome actors. So, right, yeah. So that has yeah,
1: to be... No, a, he's, he's, yeah, he seems to be up for anything, yeah. for yeah. sure, and he really got into the spirit of the picture. Well, that's
0: fantastic. One of the characters in your film, uh, a love relationship, is uh, Wendy. Was that pattern on anyone? Do you have a Wendy?
1: I do have a Wendy. I actually have two Wendy's, but one of them I met when uh, I was about fifteen, and she just she just mowed us all down at the lake. And uh, do you mean just, just came to town for about a week and flirted with everybody and destroyed us. And, uh, and probably can't even remember us. Her, her real name is Wendy Cruz, and she actually uh, was an actress on the TV huh? series Twenty Four wow. for a while, and she was in uh, Air Force One as the First Lady opposite Harrison Ford's president and things wow. like that she grew up to be an actress but when she was 15 she just loved to unscrew the tops of our heads and <laughs> and uh, just yank things Tinker. out and, and leave a big messy floor
2: <laughs> uh, mine mine was kathy I, I, had a that, Ka- right. I, had, I had a Kathy who just devastated me for, yeah. for
1: months. She just yeah. wrote, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You know, like, everybody has to have yeah. a first oh, love, yeah. a first crush, yeah. or whatever, yeah, and, 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 you know, it, it just sort of leaves you half-vivisected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then gets bored with looking at your inside. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and has to move on. You know, it's just the way it works, and, and <laughs> the marshland is a cruel place yeah. for us, mating ritual. Uh, Nobody's, and uh it 's important to feel insignificant and stomped upon and, and all that stuff so <laughs> uh, I'm, the reason i 'm i 'm thrilled to hear you say that you too are tortured is that yes. I, I really want the movie to be just fairy ish enough that people just have to admit that they 're in that they're characters in the movie that are watching yeah well, mine was
0: and I say that just as a compliment i it just it it touched my heart many times yeah, uh, yeah. It,
1: and so if you weren't the victim at least maybe you could be Wendy watching yeah. and you could the sadistic yeah. cute. Well, uh, well, there not, were those moments? Yeah. Not quite humane with your omnipotence yet, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's fine too. I I'll I'll have to yeah. just trust in in the existence of reincarnation and, yeah. <laughs> and hope for something a little better. Now.
0: now you had a second Wendy too. I just want to well, oh, right, just, so.
1: just for the sake of bookkeeping, yeah. I, <laughs> okay. I, I did have one when I was 20 that that uh, managed to stay around a lot longer and, tor- and therefore torture me even longer, <laughs> yeah. a longer shadow. But that was more complicated, and yeah. I was just happy at the coincidence that I was able to pay some sort of homage to both of them, not yeah. little that they still to this day would care. Uh,
2: I, w- I want to ask you about your relationship with your editor, in, the, in these films uh, yeah, particularly John this, yeah, yes um, he's
1: virtually my partner uh, you know my filmmaking partner yeah uh, because editing yes. is especially important in my films yes yeah. and I I must have to get up on a soapbox here for a second yeah. especially uh, down in California where you're that much closer to Hollywood and just and just say that uh, film editors are the most underesteemed. Uh, craft people and artists in the movie business in post-production. They are the filmmakers, and yeah. it doesn't matter how much involvement the director has with them or how little. Uh, you know, they just they really make the film. Not just better, but they make the film. Yeah, you know. So uh, I have to um, share credit, and I guess blame. <laughs> whatever <laughs> blame gets to go along with them. But you know, directors get too much credit and.
2: Well, if there was ever a film that was a, uh, a lesson in editing, uh, Brand Upon the Brain, just there and your other film, uh, of course, Heart of the, the World. Uh, yeah. Uh, those, those are just remarkable. In terms Heart of, of the
1: World that. was actually simple to edit. I tried to cram a feature-length picture <laughs> into five minutes, so I just made each shot as short as possible. So that was pretty simple, and I did that one on my own with that in mind. But this one, and Coward's Bend the Knee, which I did before, which is another autobiographical silent film, John Gerdebeck and I devised this kind of neurological style of editing where the film would speed up and then slow down Mm -hmm. and then repeat itself and then just sort of neurologically jangle the images around and it's kind of a facsimile of the way we remember. When you think back to one of your favorite episodes, let's say it's an episode with your first love or something, you skip ahead to the best part of it, your big sort of yeah. wonderful little moment of triumph, and then you go, no, 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 not so soon. I've got to go back to the beginning. And then you, you get overeager, and you speed ahead too much, and then you right. go, no, no, I've got to slow down. And then you skip over some stuff, and then you go back a little, and you repeat that, and then you give yourself another sneak preview of the payoff, and then <laughs> you slow down a bit. And then when you finally get to the payoff, you really slow down, and you try to suck all the memory flavor out of it. And uh, that's when you're scratching back and forth on the image like a DJ over a, his yeah. favorite piece. Of music, and then you go scooting off to your next memory once all the flavor's gone. So, it is just a facsimile. It doesn't duplicate the way we remember any more than just a simple flashback does uh, presented in strict chronological order. It's just another uh, device, but we thought that it would be kind of fun to, to present the movie in this sort of skittish fashion, and I'm really pleased to report I, I was sort of scared that I'd be inducing epileptic seizures with this. <laughs> are big headaches and I know yeah. some people like my 9-year-old mother who has macular degeneration complains that it makes her eyes sore but oh. other than that uh <laughs> That's her no critic one or? no one's really uh, either commented on it or complained about it
2: so the reaction in the audience uh, in New York and Chicago has been very good
1: yeah um, it has what you That's, wanted you know at least the people who talked to me you know like yeah. the, you know I do remember from my days in taking statistics that you know uh, you can't just go by what people Say to you that yeah. um, there's all those people that are scared to tell you what they really think and stuff like that. But but more or less, there's enough people with Tourette syndrome out there that blurt <laughs> out their hateful
0: <laughs> opinions <laughs>
1: of you. So you get um, that. You, get you at least... sort of get an idea. But yeah. uh, so the response has been good, and also you can just tell. The um, I used to have really high walkout uh, ratios on my movies, mm-hmm. and, and and these have been good. Tickets cost a little more for the live presentation. I think they're twenty bucks or something.
0: So yeah, people, no, I, I, or a that, little
1: less. Like you, well likely worth the price. To walk out on live presentations, yeah. they yeah. don't want to hurt the feelings of the performers, perhaps. But I no, yeah. I enough false. Yeah. You know, got to going you, great.
2: I, I got to <laughs> tell you when I, when I when I got the screener for Brand on the Brain upon the Brain, and I uh, I started to watch, and I watched about the first. 10 or 15 minutes and I kept going back and pulling it apart frame by frame and 15, 20 minutes of film into this, I was it was a, a, quite a long time watching it over and over and I thought, I'm going to drive myself crazy trying to pull this film apart. Yeah. It's one of those films that you just have to sort of let wash over you and and the effects will become evident and your enjoyment will, will be enhanced. But yeah, I was trying I really to pull it apart.
1: Something that um, what well, started with... My movie, Heart, Heart of the World, uh-huh. uh, which was commissioned by the Toronto Film Festival in 2000, and it, it was to play some 80 times before our various features. And I just knew if I made a movie that could be sort of taken in all in one viewing, that uh, if people were forced to watch it five or six times during the course of the festival, they would be really upset. So I, I knew I had to make something that you'd still be picking things out of yeah. Yeah. after a number of viewings. So I kind of decided to keep overloading the movie with stuff, little subliminal flashes of things almost. And, mm-hmm. and I was just sort of pleased with the density of imagery and, and the kind of honeycomb of character connections yes. that do wash. And I won't give myself credit for being a great screenwriter. It was a result of just being really honest about my own childhood and taking episodes, and they all do naturally interconnect in my own history, so they yeah. connect just as efficiently they all fit together and dovetail just beautifully yeah. on the screen because they are actually just honest recreations of what really happened. Uh, they are kind of heightened mythically in places, but um, yeah. that's another agenda altogether. but yeah. Yeah. I was really amazed at how well after because uh, I was forced to watch this stupid thing while, you know while <laughs> editing it and, and then watching the live performance, forced to watch it far more than any. Filmmaker should healthily be expected to watch a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I was continually pleased at how oh, you well be. it all adds up. Well, yeah. You should be. And,
0: yeah. uh, so it's a wonderful job. Before we get going here, what's next? Do you have anything going on right now?
1: Yeah, I have a, I'm just finishing up a t- television commission to make a feature-length documentary on my hometown of Winnipeg, Canada. It's called Love Me, Love My Winnipeg. It's a little docu-fantasia. Hopefully, it'll be making the film festival circuit. I'm starting collaboration with the poet John Ashbery on right. an internet interactive sort of choose-your own adventure film labyrinth, oh. where you could make a narrative as short as six minutes for yourself, or as long as three hours for yourself, if you want to, just by choosing various narrative options. That, where you're allowed, you're allowed to give a choice over mm. where the direct direction of the story should go every few minutes, and that, that's called Keyhole.
0: Keyhole is it so- yeah, it's
1: kind of uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that, uh, yeah. but we're still at the writing stage. And to write with this unbelievable titan of yeah. poetry is—I uh, don't know. I just wish there was a way of saving my goose flesh. You know, I, I'm thinking of having it plaster cast when next time <laughs> ripples up on my back, uh, well, yeah. getting John to it autograph it, perhaps. <laughs> and I'm and I'm uh, in the very early daydreaming stages of a collaboration with uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, the British writer, the author of *Remains of the Day*, and he, he co-wrote. Um, status music uh, in the world with
2: me yeah. and George Tolles. Come back and join join us again when uh, when some of these projects are uh, are ready to be seen. Um Yeah, I yeah. hope
1: to uh, I have have a wife out in Orange County, Kyra, and so I'd like to say hi to her. Well, shout out to the wife. Well, very good. And, and uh, oh, I'll uh, yeah. see you guys open person when I come. Very that good. Very, that would be
2: great. I'd enjoy that. Uh, well, We've been speaking with Guy Madden, and the film is Brand Upon the Brain. It's uh, in Los Angeles this week uh, for live performances. Guy Madden, thank you so much for being
1: here on Film School. Thanks a million.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.